Paul Roberts, thanks so much for joining us today. The 1946 Pilbush strike of Aboriginal pastoral workers is one of the most significant episodes in both the history of the Australian labour movement as well as the history of the Aboriginal self-determination movement. Before we get on to the strike itself, however, set the scene for us in terms of the conditions Aboriginal workers faced uh, on these remote stations back in the 1940s. Well, the conditions were... um terrible. There were uh, conditions of slavery, really. In other words, they were bonded to the station as workers, uh, as jackaroos, as people looking after sheep of shearers, as uh, domestic workers in case of the women. And they were paid very little, sometimes nothing. Most of the women were paid nothing. Uh, They were given sugar and tea flour and they had to buy other things such as tobacco such as boots such as dresses for the women out of the meager wages they were given so their people were largely in debt to the uh, station owners and this is a situation that had prevailed for many decades up to that point yeah it prevailed since the 1880s really Uh, It changed in different periods in policies of assimilation and later on when uh, so-called half-caste people started to come from nowhere. Uh, There were different setups with missions and so on, uh, separating people from their families. But uh, it was all sewn up in terms of of the working conditions. It was... If uh, someone left labour and decided to go and visit family or do something within their own culture, the uh, station people, the owner, would get on the on the uh, communicate with the police in in town in Marble Bar in Port Hedland. The police would go out and and collect the person and bring him back in. Mm, so it's very much a complicity of uh, oppression, if you like, between the state, the police force, the pastoral owners and, and so forth. And as you say, situation prevailing for many decades. And let's not forget that uh, it was on the back of the original dispossession of, of uh, Aboriginal people in the, in the Pilbara that they were then forced into conditions of, of virtual slavery uh, uh, on, on these pastoral uh, stations. Moving on to the strike itself now, uh, Paul, and as, I, as I understand it, it the organising for it began in 1942 with an extraordinary six-week conference among Aboriginal elders and leaders involving community members from across the region, speaking two dozen different uh, languages, quite extraordinary, all coming together to discuss how to fight not just for better wages and conditions, but for their rights, their land, their dignity, uh, and for their self-determination as a people. Yeah, this may, may have been 1942. I think, personally, I think it might have been 43 or 44. Anyway, this meeting was at Skull Springs, which was uh, east of Marble Bar on the edge of the desert. And it had to be held away from the stations in order to avoid the police. So that in itself took many years to uh, to establish, you know, because what really happened was that a working man, a miner named Donald William McLeod was... Um, uh, instrumental in this because he was working in the Pilbara and 
had basically gone there to make a fortune. And uh, in the 1930s, the middle of the 1930s, probably 33, 34, he took a sick man into the hospital in Onslow. And this man asked him, uh, as an Aboriginal man, uh, he was surprised that he didn't have to walk because that would be the normal thing. Mm. And Don took him in there and this guy asked him a whole lot of questions on the way. He asked him, why are we like this? We used to own this land and now we are virtually slaves in it. And Don told him, look, I don't know. I'll find out. So that began the quest, uh, which ended in that huge meeting in in Skull Springs with all those people. Because in the meantime, Don had been to Perth. He'd contacted organizations such as the Anti-Sashist League. And he'd got into contact with white people. And then back in the Pilbara, he got into contact with Aboriginal people. And... and um, uh, he developed the idea of a strike, which was, uh, of course, a, a, stri- a strike was within his understanding of things, but it was um, not within the general understanding of the people of the Pilbara. Let's move now to the strike itself, uh, Paul. Explain to our listeners the form it took. It begins with a huge organising trip to communicate the message a strike was on to pastoral workers throughout the Pilbara, which then leads to a successful walk-off and eventually the establishment of permanent strike camps. What made the organising of the strike and then the prosecution of the strike uh, so spectacularly successful in the end? Well, it stemmed from the meeting at, at Skull Springs when all these people agreed to elect two men, one named uh, Clancy McKenna and one named Dooley Binbin. Now, when I worked in the Pilbara, I met Dooley when he was a very old man. Uh, and he was responsible for sending the message when the message was, we're walking off on the 1st of May. And obviously that was in the air, but it, there weren't any telephones or computers, but it was talked about at the meeting and talked about and Dooley delivered and to the outgoing outside stations, the ones uh, Nullagine and Marble Bar and so on, those sorts of places, uh, a calendar. And a calendar that was just uh, squares of numbers with numbers in them. And they, and they were to uh, cross off uh, each day. And it ended on the first of, of May. Uh, so people who were illiterate, people who hadn't gone to school, although they may have been trilingual and bilingual, uh, it worked it out that way. So that on the first of May, the big walk-off took place, 1946. What was the relationship, Paul, of the labour movement down south in Perth to the Pilbara strike? As I imagine, it was a mixed picture. Was it? Was there racism and indifference? And how important was the role played by communist labour organisers? You mentioned Don McLeod before, who I understand was uh, a member of the Communist Party and key to, to organising of the strike. Well, he was key to it. but uh, And I think, you know, looking around today, I don't know if there is a left wing. Do you think there is? I'm not sure. I would have to argue uh, there is no such thing. Yes, well, that's fine. <laughs> and, uh, so in those days it was quite different because, you know, there had been the war... And the Anti-Fascist League was uh, prominent and they were supported by the Communist Party, but not only Communists, there were people in there who were Fabians, there were people in there who were who, who were uh, Christians, uh, 
and there were so there was there was a lot of support. I mean, for instance, there was the, the story of the Reverend Peter Hodge. He went up there because, you know, he was a humanitarian. He was an Anglican priest, and he said that something is definitely wrong. And of course, he was arrested when he got to Port Hedland for being within five chains of a congregation of natives. Um, hmm. So he found out that rather abruptly. So, and but the union movement, I think. It was mixed, you know, and there was racism. But the MUA, the Maritime Union, was big supporters, and they said, no, we're not going to move your your wall from certain stations because they'd refused to uh, any of the demands of the strikers. And uh, so it was mixed, as you say, but I think it was... I think the most difficult thing was that it was an embarrassment to the establishment. Mm. I mean, as Don used to tell me, uh, the establishment in the Pilbara were the members of parliament and cousins and mm. uncles to the members of parliament in Perth. So to have a bunch of, I'll use the term blackfellas because that's the term they use, to have a bunch of blackfellas defeat them in, a, in industrial action was uh, a matter of great shame. Blow right to the heart of the, uh, the establishment and, uh, you know, a story that needs to be much uh, more well known, Paul, no doubt. Now, as we said in the introduction, the, the uh, strike is unquestionably one of the most uh, significant episodes in the history of the Australian uh, labour movement. Yes, as, I, as I say, it is almost unknown to most Australians, even many people in so-called progressive circles. Why is it important, you know, 75 years later, uh, for people to learn more about this strike and what long-term impact did it have on, on the uh, Aboriginal people of, of the Pilbara region? Well, I was I was the principal of the school at a place called Australia, which is between you know out of Headland. And at the end of the strike, and the strike didn't end in 1949, really. Uh, in 1949, there were some agreements where people were paid a, a week, and some people went back to work, but most people didn't. Uh, they stayed in groups and were engaged in alluvial mining and said we we're on we're on our own we're never going back there uh but when i came back to perth in the early 80s uh i was i had heard all these stories from people uh who had been the strikers and i was sort of i suppose a custodian in a way or one of the custodians of, of those stories especially as those people are no longer with us you know, and I was very determined, personally, that this sort of become curriculum in schools. Our children have a right to know what happened, good, bad and ugly, in the past. Yeah, yeah. So I worked with Mr. McLeod on the book. And the book is how, how was, which we called How the West is Lost. And then decided that to um, promote this event, uh, it ought to be a film. So that's really how that went, how that came to be. But it's still a very sensitive issue, or it was at that time when we were doing it. And, you know, I've been trying to get uh, other screenings of the, of the program on, on uh, public broadcasts and so on, because uh, it's a fine film. It's, it's a brilliant documentary, really. It's, it says it as it is. And... Uh, uh, hopefully, on the 75th anniversary, which is happening right now, we can get 
more of that out and about. Absolutely, and we'll end on that note, uh, Paul, and we'll, we'll make sure to uh, you know promote uh, the details of the screening, uh, you know, on on the on the show. But um, how gratifying is it at a personal level? You know, thirty five years later, that people do have an opportunity to to view that film. I mean, you must feel proud to have been you know part of their story, an instrumental part of the story in a way, in terms of recording the history, uh, you know, both in book form and film form. Well. I just want to, uh, you know, I want the story to get out there because it, it, people know about the strike at Wave Hill at the walk-off at, uh, in the Territory 20 years later, uh, but they don't know about the, the Pilbara strike. And, uh, you know, there's not a competition about it at all or anything like that, but it was a much bigger event. And the impact was profound because people didn't go back to the stations. They went and... They at least got some independence and some authority over their own life. Now, Paul, but just before we let you go, and uh, I'm glad you mentioned before that there's really no extant left around anymore, and I'd, I'd have to agree with you. Um, but you know, assuming that there is a left out there uh, and a left-wing audience that's hopefully listening to the, to the show, I mean, what lessons do you think? they can draw from this strike. I mean, it's, an, it's such an inspiring story. So certainly to my way of thinking, it, it ought to be an inspiration to, uh, you know, young left-wing uh, activists, you know, black, white, brown, Asian, etc. Uh, it should be an inspirational story for people out there. Well, I think so. I think that, you know, those people, uh, they're my heroes. They, um, they're afraid. They, people were shot at during the strike. It wasn't... And people were bashed and people were neck-chained. And people were in prison. McLeod was in prison. Dooley was imprisoned. A whole lot of people were imprisoned in 1948 and Marble Bar and so on. They were neck chains, you know. It was barbaric. And the fact is that they was, there was fear because people were afraid, you know, there were massacres in the Pilbara. I've seen skulls and bones on the beach in the, in the, in the Pilbara. And... Uh, so it's in, within memory of those people, within living memory. So they were brave, incredibly brave, and incredibly well organised. I think those are the keys to it, organisation and solidarity, really.